Okay, so I'm going to speak tonight on something about authority that I've never grouped together and just done a whole lesson on this. So tonight we're going to look at the thing when a line attacks you. How to have authority when it's a line attack. A line attack is different than the other kinds that I've previously spoke on, but there's some very key instructions of how to survive a line attack. You're supposed to survive, the line's not. <laughs> okay, so we're going to use one concept, the line, and we're going to have a two-verse examination of it, or at least two theme verses and then some supporting things. So you can write this down. We're going to work with 1 Peter 5.8, and then we're going to work with the verse in Psalm 91. Now, Psalm 91 has a verse in it that's very unusual. It has a verse that's the authority of the believer. Now that's very unusual for a verse to be about authority in the Old Testament. Because until Jesus came and gave us authority, there was no authority for the believer. We had already handed that over to the devil. Can you think through the verses in Psalm 91 and come up with which verse I'm talking about that is actually about your authority? Now I want to say something that I think is very unusual about this verse of authority. In Psalm 91, for the most part, it gives you promises. Promises for you to claim, and the promises are telling you what God will do for you. So promises are a lot of times conditional, like you have to do something, and then God will do this for you. Authority is different. Authority is what you will do. And that's how you can separate it. I've never drawn that distinction until I was thinking about it in Psalm 91. What am I looking for? Yes, there's promises. There's some that are conditional. There's some unconditional ones. So there's what you have to have to qualify you for that promise. But when it's authority, it is not based on what God will do. It is based on what you will do with what God's already given you. It's completely different. And so the Old Testament doesn't have that concept so much. But the one place that Psalm 91 has it, it is a kicker of a verse. And if you haven't already come to that conclusion, it is verse 13. And it lines out the types of attacks that can happen to you. And so we're going to be looking at a combination of Psalm 91 verse 13 combined with 1 Peter 5.8. Now there is one common denominator in these two verses, and that is the type of attack that you're going to receive. Now in 13, what's interesting about the Psalm 91 list, it names animals as the embodiment of the type of attack. So you think of how this animal would attack you, and you know what kind of attacks the enemy will give you. I think it's very unusual to think in terms of animals representing What's going to hit you in life? And so there's going to be one that gives you a life blow. It's going to come at you. You're going to see it coming, and it's going to come head on into you. Then there are some that are repetitive. And then there's some things that hit you sneaky. You never saw it coming. It was a snake in the grass, literally. Those are terrible. Those have camouflage to them. And I've spent a lot of time talking about the snake attack. And then there's the dragon attack. You can interpret that one so many different fun ways. The dragon attack can be like a sea monster, that breathing dragon of fire where you have to slay it. Or it can actually be the vain imagination that you have the imaginary. 
And sometimes people have more problem in life from imaginary fear attacks, vain imaginations, than they actually do from the real problems that hit them. They might as well have a terrible life because every day they imagine something terrible. And they live with dragons. Like the little kid who always thinks there's a dragon under his bed, a monster under his bed. They're like that in life. There's always a dragon. It's that one, the wicked flea when no one's pursuing them. The wicked flea. It's a dragon attack. It's you running away from something that really doesn't exist that's there. So the thing you can write down about all these animals, when you think about it, they all have harm in them. Teeth, <laughs> poison, <laughs> breathing fire. There's harm to them. That's the point. So every one of them come with injury and the ability to cause your life pain and potential death. That's the purpose of the list. It's not meant to be a pretty list. It is something to break you. So there's rattles of the snake, which, you know, they're very sneaky, poison, often deadly. But the rattle serves as a warning if you are blessed enough to get something that has a rattle before it strikes. But that's not the case always, and we're going to deal with the first animal in the list. I'm not even going to go into the second attack where it talks about a younger version of this. Now, you can remedy this by what we're going to talk about tonight of how to be prepared with your authority. People sometimes wonder, well, why is so much stuff happening? And I think this is the reason why. We're not good at this type of warfare are armoring up. So we're going to talk tonight about the bold attacks on our life. Now where did I come up with this deal? What made me start thinking on it? Why today? So actually about a week ago I was thinking about a dear friend of mine and she needs more authority in her life. And she needs it to go to the next level. Have you ever felt like okay I'm walking in what I know. I've grown to a great place with the Lord, but it's not holding me for the amount of warfare I'm experiencing. And so I thought, if I was speaking to this friend, what would I tell her? And then I wrote this Bible study as quick as I could on Saturday. Just as quick as I could. If I was preparing her, this is what I would tell her to do. So tonight you're going to hear what I would tell her. And so, first of all, I would say to you, I'm writing about your authority because you've almost died three times this year several times and so she's almost died twice and she got very very sick the third time that matched the second and I'm like this is serious to have that happen to you in a year let me put some words to you you can't be passive and use your authority those two don't go hand in hand you can't just be calm nice sweet you've got to resist with authority you're always going to hear the word resist it is not the word accept, allow. There's no lay down and die to this. Let me tell you what you've got to tell yourself. You've got to make it hard to die. So if you're playing with any ideas of I'm tired, I'm weary, I just want to lay down, I've fought a hard battle, you're already not mentally prepared for a lion attack. It's in your head. I'm not telling you to go to the gym to get ready for the lion. <laughs> Make it hard. People that know their authority are able to think in terms of life in a death culture. They're able to think of overcoming 
when most people would just be trying to survive what's happening to them. They're looking at a way to play offense. And so I was going to tell you, when I did the military book, I was shocked when I read about these commanders and they said death comes very seductively. It makes you want to accept it. It's sweet. Guess what happens when you're near death? The pain leaves. And you've got to fight back to where you feel pain again. Isn't that odd? You've got to fight to feel. Because death will come and it will offer you a, hey, let's get out of here to a better world. Well, you hope you have it right with the Lord and you're ready to meet him. But I'm saying that's what people think. And they are not prepared for this attack. They let go. Let me tell you, people who know their authority make it hard to die. They don't let it go down easy for you. They're not there giving you sweet amounts of comfort and injecting you so that you pass peacefully. They are there getting you to pull with every part of what you've got to do one thing, and I call it resist. And the key to a lion's attack is resist. So with my friend, the thing that I have to say is it's a mental preparation. She's professional. She's savvy. She's crafty, shrewd like the Bible tells her to be. She has to take on this thing of no allow, not for any reason, any time, ever off guard. I am not allowing this attack. This person, this friend of mine, she's active in frontline spiritual battles regularly. She's one of the few that do kingdom work. So because of that, it makes you a high profile target. <laughs> the enemy has drawn a bullseye on your behind. Maybe other key spots to shoot you in. <laughs> You've got to treat yourself as being valuable. And that there's something that wants to kill you. You cannot think nice thoughts are going to happen to you just because you're a sweet person. And attacks will come out of the blue. So she just asked me when I told her about this lesson, I go, you'll never believe it. I used your face to speak to tonight. How would I explain to you how to go to that next attack, this next step of more authority? She goes, tell me, tell me, tell me. So tonight I'm telling you, we're going to talk about having more authority for the end days. Because you're dealing with an entity that's more angry than he's ever been. It says in Revelations 12, he comes out with more wrath because he knows he doesn't have much time. And so he's out to destroy the most, the quickest, in the most unfair way. It's bold attacks. They're not hidden. So this is your authority of the believer for the end days. This is what I got. Number one. If you skip this step, heaven help you be able to react in time. So, but number one is prevention. Authority always starts with prevention. You must begin your day with preparation for authority for your day. I think of some of my favorites, Psalm 91. Now, mom does the whole psalm. Usually what I do is every day something in Psalm 91 stands out to me. So I might be today thinking, there are specific traps laid out for me. And today, Lord, I'm asking you that not one time will those traps catch me. Not one time will I be flying high and I'm playing offense and it's going good and a net gets thrown over me and I crash down. Not one time am I going to have a trap be able to 
clamp on my foot. Nothing will bait me. Or I might pray the angels verse in Psalm 91. Wow, Lord, you keep my feet from stumbling. Sometimes if I trip over a hanger, I go, "Uh uh-oh, that's going against what the angels will do. They keep my feet from stumbling. Now, I would have thought they would have protected my head from a hard blow, (laughs) protected me from being shot. But of all things, they give me feet protection. And if I have feet protection, it protects the rest. I think that's hilarious. I play with the verses till I get them deep in my spirit. Maybe it stands out to me that today I'm up on God's shoulders, that he lifts me up on high. Like my dad used to when he would mow the lawn, he'd put me on his shoulders when I was young like this one. So you think about this of being lifted on high. Oh, I like this one. I know I'm going to have a little trouble today. I feel the trouble is going to start with this, this situation, this person. I'm going to have trouble. God, you rescue me from this thing called trouble. Oh, Lord, today, I'm going to hear your voice when you call me, and I will run under the safety of your wings. I will literally find that place in you. But of course, my all-time favorite is the Lord's Prayer, because He shows us every day that we must pray, be led away from, and the words, Pierzo, you cannot say it means just temptation. It's also translated testings. It's also translated trials, being tried in your faith. Some people think, oh, you're only protected from temptation. No, you're protected from Pierzo. Temptations, testings, and trials. T, T, T. (laughs) You have T, T on your shirt. Have you heard that joke? But it's T, T, T. Okay. Or I might pray this. Lord, I thank you. Temptations make me seduced to evil. Like test, it's like puts me through something. Peter, his faith, you know, he was tested in his faith. And Jesus prayed that he wouldn't be sifted. So I pray through, Lord, don't let me go through the trials. Lord, take me completely out of that pathway. Lift me up and don't let me even experience that. Take me in a different route so I don't run into him. And then deliver me from all forms of wickedness, evil, the evil one. And I pray through that verse for quite a while. Then I pray it over y'all. Don't trust me to pray it over you. You pray it over you. I might decide to skip you today because the Lord just says they need to get their muscles. (laughs) No, it really helps to have everybody praying it together to put those layers on. I love the fact that Jesus said that's important. I love to pray, Lord, just that verse that you say, be crafty as a snake and harmless as a dove, then that means I don't have any harm in me to give to anyone. And I can't be harmed. Like, there's no harm drawing it to me. Like, I don't have harm in me to give to you. Lord, don't let me ever harm someone. Don't let me ever back over someone. Lord, please protect me from harm. Lord, I pray take me out of that pathway that I can't cause harm and I can't be harmed. Harm's an entity. I don't want that entity attacking my life. Today, let that pass from me. You remember in our fasting Bible study, I said that there's actually a verse that talks about people fasted in order to have travel mercies. Some Christians don't even pray before they get out on the road and go a long ways. See, these are the ways that you preventatively get authority over your day. Then, of course, many of you put your armor on. Don't get caught up so much in the weaponry of it, but be caught up in the fact that salvation's all over my mind. 
over the way I think. That faith is literally the shield in my hand. That, that righteousness, Lord, thank you that your righteousness is a shield to me against the enemy. And so as you put it on, tell yourself, I love truth. It guards all the private areas of my life. <laughs> my feet, they're ready for battle with peace. Like, I don't care how chaotic this world is today, my feet bring peace into them. And I have a sword in my hand that I can use in either hand. And it bounces between it of the ability to play offense when arrows are coming towards me. Do you see how you're putting your armor on? And then it says, and then I pray at all times in the Spirit. And I make intercession. So I'm constantly in that prayer. So beginning the day, those are my favorites. I'm asking you, don't walk out and have a day where you do no prayer. Where you spend no time with the Lord. That is a huge problem for your authority. That is hit and miss. If you have not taken your day and already got the evil under your feet before you walk out. Y'all... Did you know we did a survey on pastors here, how many pray every day, and they don't. To think that pastors are not praying over themselves, their families, that they're not praying over their congregations, youth pastors. And we wonder, I wonder why God let that happen to them. What do you mean God let them happen to them? They don't pray. But I'm going to challenge something about prayer in this. So just praying is not where we're going. But it is a place you have to start. Like, no communication with you today, God. Sorry, no communication. I'm in a hurry to get about, are you going to say his business? So, we're asking about the authority of the believer. It starts before you leave your house. Some of you are called to wake up in the middle of the night and pray. And you don't feel something is right and in Gotham City and you're having to pray till you get a release in your spirit so the next level is taking authority over your day your difficulty your problems any spirit of witchcraft demonic spirits and also perpetual problems Lord let me have enough authority right now before I ever face it later in my day I don't want to face something I can't move and that's what authority looks like in your prep time. How to have a good defense. This is your defensive protection posture before you walk out. You know, I was thinking about when we were kids, we'd walk home from school, from first grade to sixth grade. Back then they didn't worry about children. It was like, there's where you live. We'll show you once how to get there. And so in walking home, we had to walk from our school clear to my grandparents, which was halfway to our house. But along the way were enemies. And every day when we'd go to the creek, my brother's two best friends would wait to beat him up. I don't know why. It just seems perpetual in his life. But his two very best friends, Shane and Clint, would wait for Bill. And every day we dreaded the creek. And so we'd be walking along. And my brother was such a cute little fat kid, you know, just walking along. And we'd go. And about the time we'd get to the creek, here those boys would come out of the bushes just waiting for us. And we'd have to go through it again. They'd beat my brother up to the point his nose was bleeding and my brother would giggle. And he couldn't quit giggling. I don't know what it is when we feel like we're gonna get killed, we both get tickled. And so he's giggling, giggling, and they beat him, both of them, and then we continue home. 
Well, my grandfather wasn't having it. He had been a boxer in his hometown of Mineral Wells, and he had been very good. He could beat up anyone in the city. I saw all the newspaper articles. He was born about 1920. Gives you an idea of what era we're talking about, but then they brought in a professional boxer and didn't tell him. And it said, the mighty crow has fallen as he lay down on the floor. My grandfather wasn't gonna have any notions in our heads that we should turn the other cheek. So he took us out and he said, I'm gonna teach y'all to box. I was so excited. My grandfather was gonna teach me to box. That's why if you want to treat me to something special, I would love for those paid per views for my birthday to watch a boxing fight. There's just something healthy about it. I mean, just good, clean American fun. I love boxing. I was excited that my grandfather thought I was worthy of this. And he said, yes, you have to come too. Probably because of the look on my face. He takes us and he teaches my brother the art of boxing, defense, how to strike first. And so he gets my brother to be a little Rocky Balboa. And I mean, Bill is with his little fat arms. He's striking my grandfather's hand until my grandfather is sure that at least we're going to put up a decent fight. It's my turn next. I'm so excited about this high level training that my grandmother has built bigger than life about my pappy. He tells me, your job, Angie, is to sit on him. When one your brother's fighting, you get Clint, the bigger one, and sit on Clint. And then when he's through fighting Shane, then you sit on Shane until he fights Clint. I was shocked at what I had been deemed to do. No boxing lesson for me, I must sit on him. Well, my grandfather assured me that this was as important as what my brother's doing. So we go home with a renewed strength in us. We're still, to this day, having to use what we've been taught. But anyway, here comes Clint and Shane and out. And here's those dopey Ruth kids. And again, we're going to get our nose with my brother's nose pouring out blood and us giggling. But this time, I get Clint, and somehow I get my problem under my feet, and I'm on top. And my brother is beating Shane, and surprisingly, Shane's nose starts to bleed, and Shane goes down. I hop over on Shane, and Bill takes on Clint. Never again did we have to fight. That was the end of Shane and Clint. Well, years went by. I was in church. This very handsome guy walks in. I look up. He goes, do you know who I am? No. I'm Clint. Do you remember what happened in the park? <laughs> oh, yeah, I sat on you. <laughs> and so we had a good laugh. So this is what I was going to tell you. Bill and I have been fighting ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and we can prove it <laughs> so this is training and you must think like this because every day the devil will send you home bleeding if you don't think in terms of an active defense so the first part is what I told you you mentally have got to get past the creek secondly you've got to train to actually fight a line now, in Psalm 91:13, it is the first on the list. It's the first type of attack. It is bold, and it's in your face. Let me tell you, it's called a life blow. And every life has a few, and I'm going to call them attempts on your life, to give you a life blow, to take you out. You don't fight lines usually every day. But when you do you must be prepared to win. 
the, the mature line is not an everyday battle. Thank the Lord. But as a person, I cannot spare you the fact that you will face a line at some point. Some of us fight them more than others. So, this is your prep to face a line. And let me tell you, it's Peter, one of the disciples, who tells you what to do in this attack. Isn't that interesting? That Peter would write this verse for us. Now, what's remarkable about this verse, I think, it really doesn't tell you how to do this attack or what it looks like. I wrote that down. Honestly, Lord, you didn't give me an outline on how to beat a line. So I'm talking to you first about what it doesn't say in order to tell you what it does say. Because it doesn't look like much, especially in the description of how bold this line is that's going to come against you. It is meant to tear you to pieces. So stopping, let's just call him a hungry line. You know, Daniel had to face a whole den of these things. The devil will come to you like a raging, roaring lion. And this is his motive. So you don't have to guess why the cat is meowing. (laughs) But he's seeking whom he may devour. I love the verse, whom he may. It's like if he doesn't get you, he'll go on to the next target. He's out to get someone. And he chose you. And you've got to withstand the attack. So, I thought, let's give a little context. Verse 7 says, cast all your anxiety on the Lord, for He cares for you. It helps you know God cares for me. It keeps me from feeling sorry for myself. It's deadly for me to feel sorry for myself more than a minute. In about a minute's time, I tell myself I can't feel sorry for myself. Some of you are spending days of feeling sorry for yourself, and it's perpetual to you to feel sorry for yourself. If you are, you're wide open to a line attack. So, cast your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. It says, be sober-minded and alert. The times we're living in, you need to be sober-minded and alert. This is not a time for your head being not all there. You need all your brain cells. You need to be built up in the Word. You need to be prepared Because it says your adversary. In other words, you've got enemies. Do not think as a Christian you have all friends. Is that your definition of Christianity? That means I have all friends. Everybody loves me because I am so wonderful. It's not what it says. You have something that tries to kill you. Some people think I'm paranoid. They have not lived a day with me. There is an adversary, and he prowls around like a roaring lion. He prowls. And the reason he prowls is he's looking. He's looking for the chance to seek someone that he may devour. Now, it's shocking to me what it tells you. Stop right there. If you've never looked this verse up, what does it tell you you must do in a line attack? It doesn't take an outline and tell you this is what you look like and give you the gear of Ephesians 6. It it doesn't give you that sort of a battle plan. So we're going to work with what Peter gives you. The number one thing he says is resist. Resist. 
Resist. Resist. You have to have that undeniable resistance in you. When you're attacked, you resist. You do not accept. And Christians are teaching acceptance and tolerance. It is anti-biblical. It must be resistance. If sickness comes, if death prowls, if these kind of attacks come against you to seduce you, if evil, temptation, any of them, it says resist. Resist. It doesn't look pretty on you. I told a friend of mine, go with me today, and if this happens to me, I'm telling you, I'm not going to look Christian for a few minutes. This is a resistance pose. It is not because there's evil in me. My heart is like a dove. It's because there's evil trying to kill me. And at that point, I had a soldier tell me, when two people opposing forces meet, each are trying to impose their will upon the other. And the one that wins is the one who can impose their will on that one. You must impose the will of God. You cannot allow the enemy to take ground or take a piece of you. So resisting standing firm in your faith. I was thinking about it. Most of us have had the experience of jumping into a yard without realizing there was guard dogs. And when they come and they're trained and they're junkyard dogs and they're after you, the worst thing you can do is turn your back and run like a chicken. They are taught to crawl up on your back. And if you run from them, they think there's a reason why you're running because you must have something that you stole. And they're trained for this. Or you must have food you're hiding from them. Maybe your hand. You know, something they want to eat. So when you turn and run from the enemy, it is terrible. So I realize it says resist and stand. Have you ever had to do that to a dog? And that dog comes at you lunging, thinking you're going to turn on it like crouch and let it go on you. You've got to meet the dog with the same look in your eye that that dog has in his for him to break. I love my dad's story of when he walked through a bunch of dogs. He said that he walked through them in faith the first time because he didn't know they were there. But when the owner explained, I've never had anyone get in here that didn't get badly hurt. Dad said his knee shook <laughs> like a, a guy who was having to walk back through him. He said the first time he had his faith, the second time his knees were literally knocking. Let me tell you, this says resist and stand firm. And then it tells you something else. It's odd what it tells you next. And in the knowledge that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering that you are and it goes through. Why that? Why that? I'm going to tell you one of the most important things you're going to hear. That sentence is not wasted. You cannot feel alone in your fight. If you feel alone, the enemy will eventually take you out. That's what happened to Elijah. He killed all the prophets of Baal. He was on top of his game, but he felt alone. And you retreat to the cave. And you feel like you're the only one getting kicked this way. And you feel like no one's experiencing what you're experiencing. That feeling alone is deadly. So the knowledge you are not alone in the fight. 
I'd never seen how crucial that was till I was studying that today. And I realized that is one form of not getting weak is I'm not the only one out here having to fight these battles. Remember I told you when I went to NRB and I was so tired from the battles that Brownwood gave me of a Christian radio until I met people that were putting radio stations in Iraq. And I didn't feel alone. So many times when I'm facing what I do here, I think, oh, my one little problem, they've got 30 just like it. I'm suffering this at the hands, and look at what other people are going through for the spiritual fight for our nation. I'm not alone. Other people are going through this. And my courage will help their courage, and their courage will help my courage. So you will resist. You will stand firm, and you won't feel alone because you know that other people are fighting this. The enemy will try to put it in your head. No one's going through what I'm going through. Yeah, they are. Answer our phone every day. It's bad. So what kind of people get attacked by lions? When can you know that you're going to get hit? You know what I'm going to say here. There's only two times that you <laughs> will receive a lion attack in your life. When you are out of the will of God, the enemy takes advantage when you are out of the will of God. And he will attack you. That's the first time. The second time that the enemy will attack you. It's only these two times in your life. That's what makes it good. At least there's only two. You can section, bookmark them off. The only other time that he'll attack your life is when you're in the will of God. Those are the only two times. <laughs> I know you'll sleep comforted tonight. <laughs> Some people judge. He <laughs> got my joke. Some people judge and they think that person got attacked because they were out of the will of God. Well, 50% of the chance they were. But 50% of the chance was they're in the will of God and you're not. And they got attacked because of who they are and what they're doing. And the enemy didn't want their gift going on. Or he liked their flavor of meat. Something. Okay. Let me change this just a little bit. Out of the will of God and in the will of God. I mean, that just gives me a lot of comfort. But let's say it this way. The devil goes after the weak, easy prey. That's really who he picks off of the herd. But the other side of what he goes after, of just the stragglers, the backsliders, yeah, he does. But the devil goes after the one who threatens his territory. If you're taking turf, mm, it doesn't go down well. I've never been able to quite explain what it feels like to take a few feet of the enemy's kingdom. It's contested. Take someone out of darkness. Be prepared for the attack. And it's your job when you work with someone when they're very young, just like you would a child, to prepare them for it, but also to do the praying that you need to do for them, like Jesus did for Peter. Like, they're not ready for that kind of warfare. So, like, Steph's seen me sometimes that we'll have a great experience with someone. But I'll be like, I've got to get on the phone with them. Like, I've been up all night praying for them, and something's up in the spirit realm. I've got to figure out what's going on. That's this. It's, they're new. They're easy. So, the weak. So, it does. It tries to take out the old, the helpless, the young, the powerless, those that don't know better. Those that don't have any experience. They have no experience with battle. They, they don't know that 
the enemy's going to attack them. They haven't gotten to the verse in First Peter. They're still reading way back in, in Leviticus. They're trying to get through <laughs> Leviticus. They don't know about this verse. They're away from the herd. They're in enemy territory. The enemy goes after the tired. Y'all, this is the funniest one to me. But tell me I'm wrong. The enemy, the line attack is after the slow. <laughs> like when he, when he goes after something, he goes after the one that runs the slowest. <laughs> I have to tell you my scuba diving story. We had studied under a Marine, and he was telling me, now we certified divers are much better than Patty. And I mean, this Marine put me through all types of training. He said, I don't know if I can train you through claustrophobia in the water. And so I was always at the point of I could fail. So the intensity of 10 weeks of training. He told us at the very beginning, there's really no use to carry a frog sticker, a knife on you. He said, they're just sporting things. He said, oh, you could do a few things, open a clam, oyster, you know, something like that. But he said, they really don't do you any good in a shark attack. So I put that into my mind. Now, I'm not doing this to prepare for the final. I'm doing this because he's just telling me that they don't do you any good. And he said, you might could take the blunt end. He said, that'll do better than the, the pointed end and hit him on the nose. But at the end of the class, he said, if you're in a shark attack, get out your knife. And don't you hate it when your teachers contradict themselves? So I was like, hey, how am I ever going to learn to do scuba if one day you're going to tell me this and 10 weeks later you're going to tell me just the opposite? Like, you told me not to buy the knife. He waited for the sucker. I was the sucker. He told me, the knife's not for the shark. It's for your buddy. He said, if you'll slit your buddy's throat, he says, while the shark is after the blood, you can get out of there. <laughs> A Marine. Training with Marines. The way they think. Y'all, <laughs> blood in the water. I was going to tell you, the enemy goes after the slow, the weak, the crippled, the defenseless. Don't think this battle's fair. I mean, that's funny, but it's not that funny if you're living it. So, there are a certain set of open doors for weak people. Powerless, helpless. There's certain things it opens in the spiritual realm they have to guard against because the lion will smell it and come after them. But the strong have a certain set too. You don't think about that, but you've got to prepare for the strong. The strong is the one who threatens the enemy's domain. Do you know who you have to pray twice for? You pray twice for the person who's the evangelist. Because the enemy will try to do something to wreck them. Evangelist kids. You know, I heard the other day this great evangelist in East Texas, one of my favorite. The car jumped up on the curb and, and killed their kid. Y'all, I'm telling you, there is a special attack plan for the strong or the missionary or someone that's really outspoken in their witness, or bold. That's why I'm saying, great, if you get your kid witnessing in high school, prepare them. You better be doing your due diligence, because most kids that witness in high school are not walking with the Lord by the time they're college age. Something happened, every one of them. And I have to go back around and try to regather them because of this right here. 
they get an adult attack on a kid. And I'm not trying to discourage witnessing. I'm saying just don't be dumb. But every parent tries to either train their kid to stranger danger, don't talk to anyone, or to be the best witnesser out there. I'm telling you, do it with double layers. If your kid is amazing with the Lord, then you better be amazing with your authority and teaching them. This one is the veteran. Listen to these words that Steph read to me today off her devotional. Her sweet little reading song, witchcraft. Okay, okay. <laughs> the more experiences, the more we learn. And this new learning of confidence in the Lord eventually replaces the fear learning. So the more experiences you have with the Lord, it replaces what you learn from fear by what you learn by confidence. And that's what makes you a veteran. That's why people come to me because I've been through many wars. People don't want a novice out there. They don't want someone that has no war experience. They have never been under combat. They don't know what to do when bullets are flying. They can talk big, but it doesn't work until you've really had to go through combat. That's why combat soldiers respect combat soldiers. It's the same in the kingdom. It's called a veteran. But there's also open doors for strong people. That, my friend, is another lesson. But I'm going to tell you, there's men like David Wilkerson crossing the switchblade where he went into the ghettos of New York and he evangelized. He literally won a turnaround in the culture of New York. Nikki Cruz, the movie. He was the founder of the Addiction Recovery Program, Teen Challenge. He was the founding pastor of Times Square Church right in the center of New York City. Don't tell me he didn't know about warfare. He had seen it. But in April, when driving in East Texas, Wilkerson crossed into the westbound lane and collided head-on with a tractor-trailer. According to DPS, he was not wearing his seatbelt. The doctors had medically restricted him from driving at the time of the accident. He was ejected from the driver's seat onto the highway where his head impacted the road. He was pronounced dead at the scene. Less than a month from his 80th birthday, his wife, Wendelin, was seriously injured. What happened? These are attacks on the strong. This is not Psalm 91. With a long life, I will satisfy you. I will not let your eyes behold bewilderment. Pray that over your eyes. Pray it over your life. Y'all, this is not a fictitious drama that you're watching on entertainment. That has messed us up. This is a real-life encounter with real-life people. I have made myself a student of these type of things. There is not any of this that goes down. I don't study every fact I can find because my job is prevention. You don't want one to slip through your fingers. One of my college kids, Wendy, she loves and has a calling for missions. She has been three to four times to Mexico. I was looking at my Bible study of this. And I go, here, let me show you a video of Wendy. Here's Wendy, sick on a hammock. Not a little sick, but a whole lot sick. She could not stand. She could not take in food or water for three days. When you hear the natives start talking in Spanish and they're talking about being buried in Mexico because the insurance didn't cover exporting the body, you're sick. When the Mexicans think you're going to die. 
and the joking nationals after they start recovering. These are the living, and these are the dead. <laughs> Y'all, foreigners, they're kind of primitive. They think it's really funny when we don't last over there. <laughs> it's not as serious to them sometimes. Y'all, you've just got to get into missionary humor. Okay, resident missionary tried to console Wendy with what she had accomplished. She goes, it was a great testimony, Wendy, you gave. She said, because you didn't moan when you were sick. They don't like hearing you moan when you're dying. You must die well. <laughs> Wendy missed two weeks of Mexico. Remember I told you I'm preparing you for the line attack on the strong. And let me tell you this. Many people go on the mission field to Mexico because they have experience with Mexico. So they never think that on the fifth time they're going to get killed. They never think that it's anything but their track record that protects them. This is called passive faith. And many times what we're giving is passive faith. Oh yeah, I know the scriptures on protection. I know all the scriptures on healing. Oh yes, I know those verses. Did you know we will have prayer times before we go into these infested areas in the Philippines where literally you're praying for the sick that are trembling and they're heated with fevers and let me tell you, you're not scared. We're scared. I'm scared. Like me taking 30 kids into these type of environments, don't think I'm not hearing every thought you can imagine that the devil tells me this is going to happen. Because think of that kid over there. They don't pray over here. What makes you think they'll pray over there? They're always getting in a rebellion. I'm hearing every thought. Did you know I took a team and we prayed on our faces until everyone felt sickness go under their feet. And one day after weeks of fasting, I'm not saying we fasted a week, but we fasted every week one day. After weeks of it, there was a point when we felt the sickness go under our feet. And not one person got dengue fever. Not one person got sick. We literally felt that fear, which is a warning sign, go beneath our feet. I didn't want to take them over there with active fear. I wanted active faith. Because if you're not, you're thinking through every scenario. It's a waste when a missionary gets sick or dies. And I feel like that's my job to armor you up for what you want to do with your life with the Lord. I don't want you falling apart. But not many people will tell you this. I've never heard a sermon on this. So this is what one missionary said to us. He said he doesn't take Americans to one place in Mexico because it has a lot of witchcraft because he spends more time praying over the sick Americans than he does laying hands on the sick. So it's not worth it to take Americans in. They don't know what to do with witchcraft spirits. Adrian had that experience when you heard him here. He had a team that Josh had prepared for weeks he took him into a psychiatric ward in Mexico. The pastor immediately had to start laying hands on the team members because their heads started spinning. One guy, it broke so bad on him, they got him out of Juarez, got him on a bus or plane, and got him home. <laughs> the, the line attack of the weak, the line attack of the strong. And this is what I'm telling you with kids. 
Start preparing now because most of the time your kids want to go on the mission field. It's me back home trying to work with the parents. Here's a Psalm 91 book. Try to get it in you. I know you've never heard this before. Give us a double layer. Yeah. So while they're little and you're praying for a skin knee, I would tell you start praying for what that kid's going to do to you the rest of their life when they decide to go full out serving God. Because you know what I appreciate about my father? That he said yes when I told him I wanted to smuggle Bibles into China. It takes more faith for the parent than for the kid. Kids at 20 are kind of stupid. That's why they send them into war. <laughs> They've got the most to live for, and they'll throw it away the quickest. Prepare your heart for what your child's called to do, and pray over them that they'll live a long life, and they'll accomplish the purpose of God, and the enemy will never take them out. So when I pray for one thing for a kid, I'm praying for another like where they say for me, put hands on kids and bless them like Jesus had blessed children. I'm blessing them that the enemy will never get them into addiction. He'll never cause them to go astray. That literally that God will take them out of temptation and the blood of Jesus causes the death angel to pass over and never attack them. But I don't want it to be so they sit and play video games. They're wasting my time and God's. Remember when he said, see that tree, dig it up. It's wasting soil. Nobody teaches that scripture. We just say, oh, you're just blessed for breathing. And God says, no, you're wasting air by breathing. So tied to protection is purpose. My mom will give you protection. I'll talk to you about purpose. Resist. In this verse, it says resist. And I don't know what it's going to look like, but resistance for you is your hand. Put the hand up. When that line is charging, get your hand up. I know it's a little scary. There's teeth. There's claws. There's lunging. It has to be a resistance in the spiritual realm. A full-grown line charging you. It's the initial attack. You know what Christians have talked themselves into doing? This is how they'll read the verse. They'll say, submit to God and ignore the devil. Every single time I've heard them say it. They'll say, ignore the enemy. God is all powerful. Who's the enemy? And I'm like, this is a New Testament verse. I'm sorry. You're not looking at it. It says the devil wants to devour you. You cannot do that crazy little thing of ignore the enemy if the Bible tells you to resisting. Why are we teaching a false doctrine of ignore when the Bible says resist? You know what I'm going to tell you? You're actually arrogant because when Jesus faced the enemy, of all people, he could have been the one to say, Satan, who are you? My God is on the throne. He's all powerful. He's more powerful than you. I'm going to ignore you. But Jesus took his enemy seriously and engaged him and resisted him. If he had to, you have to too. There is no ignore. Jesus did not ignore and say, I'm God's son. Who do you think you are? And Christians are arrogant. They can't even believe something small off their lives here by ignoring. And they think they have the power to do it under great attack. They're fooling only themselves. 
The Bible clearly teaches you a doctrine of resistance when it comes to hard-hitting attacks. So, put up the hand. Show your preparation. Show the fact that you are prepared for this battle and have already made up your mind what it's going to look like when you resist. Now, let me tell you, someone in the Bible taught you a little bit about how to resist. Make up your mind what you're going to do with this attack. All right. You've got to reach for something. I'll show you in a minute. The second thing that you see is that the line is not quiet. It comes roaring. It roars. Is this something you want? You, can you imagine you're not only seeing the line, but you're hearing the line? That roar is meant for something. What is the enemy trying to do to you with this roar? What is the word? Intimidate. intimidate you. Do things intimidate you that are evil? Do they, they yell at you what they're going to do? Intimidation. I'm going to have you look at the roar. And I want you to be prepared for a scream in your ears. You're not going to think that you can make your feet stand still. It's a roar. But let me give you the opposite. It's a lot better for it to roar than for it to stalk you and to, and to sneak up on you and to stalk you silently. I call the roar a blessing. It's a warning. I know he's coming. I know he's after me. And as bad as the roar is, I'm appreciative of a roar. Get yourself okay with a roar. He's just putting his feathers out to look bigger. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they did. <laughs> Let me tell you the message they're giving you. <laughs> it's funny. He's roaring. <laughs> it's dominance. What it's saying is, who's going to be in charge? Why did those big old wrestlers do trash talk? Who's going to be in charge if he can get you to be afraid? But the roar for me is protection. It makes me aware I'm fixing to be slammed. <laughs> I'm not caught off guard. To me, I want a roaring line. So I mark the word roar as a promise. Lord, always let my lines roar. I want to hear them coming. Give me a heads up. I don't want to be blindsided. I want a warning. Thank God he roars before the attack. Because the devil's going to boast what he's going to do to you. The devil likes to brag. That's why he's roaring. He's telling you. And I'm going to tell you a secret I found about this. This is one thing, this roar, that has helped me more than any. Because sometimes the devil boasts. And what he tells me he's going to do is so outrageous and so bizarre, I can stop it at that point on the fact that it's completely outrageous. You know, we're talking a lot about overreach. The enemy will sometimes overplay his hand. And I don't know how to tell you this, but you're going to have to understand me by the Spirit. And I've done it even recently. Something so audacious was coming at me that was so crazy that by the mere fact 
It's outrageous. I've said no to it. Let's just say you live in a house peacefully and the devil comes to you and tells you, I'm going to own your house and you'll be a tenant to me and I will owe your land. That's a ridiculous ideal. I don't like it at all. And it doesn't even scare me because it's that stupid. Now, I'm not going to tell you. Some people, if it's not where it's truly going under your feet, you will find yourself a tenant kicked out <laughs> because it's a real attack. It's, you're not denying it. It's, let me tell you something. People don't understand this in sickness. Some people deny sickness. They're wiping their nose and saying, I'm not sick, I don't have a cold. That's, it's not denial. It's resistance. If you want to just do denial, go join the Christian scientists. It's a cult, go join them. This is not a cult. This is Bible. Bible says resist it. So this is what I'm telling you on that where it's so ridiculous. The enemy has overspoke what he's going to do to me. It is that crazy. And something about that gives me faith. Faith to say, I won't have this. I appeal immediately to my father and say, this is trouble. Rescue me. This is ridiculous trouble. I've had times where it is so bizarre against my time that I tell the Lord, pull me out of this one. I don't have time for this fight. Sometimes you'll get a doctor's report and you're going to have to say, it is so stupid and ridiculous. I do not have time to be that kind of a sick and fight it off. Even though I'd win with persistent faith and my covenants and promises, I don't have time for it. Get it under your feet with the mere mention of it. The enemy's trying to talk you into it. I'm going to not go any further on that, but there is something to that in the spiritual realm of the outrageous bizarreness of what the enemy will roar to you at this moment. The next thing is, it says the lion is there to devour. Not gum you. He's not toothless. That is another false doctrine to say that the devil is toothless. This is a New Testament scripture. He has teeth. He is going to devour. Get rid of the idea of playing nice with him. If you want to, use your bluff or snort. But make sure you can follow through. You're a warrior and you must find your aggressive side. Get your snort on. You're fixing to be in hand-to-hand combat. At this moment, you need to be assured and not double-minded. This does not need to be the first time you face this scripture. (laughs) At this moment. Don't be having second thoughts of allowing. That is double-minded. Let me tell you what bothers you. This attack is not just mental. It's emotional. And it gets personal. When the battle gets too personal, I never thought about this before. First time David fought the giant at, let's say, 100 yards. But sometimes, like King David, he fought a giant that got on top of him. That's when the battle gets too personal. It's the personal side of when the enemy does something so personal to me, I can't use it as a Bible study example. It's too personal. Like if I told you, you'd go, I don't want to hear that. That's too personal. I told Steph a story the other day. She goes, don't ever tell that story anytime, anywhere. It's too personal. And it's really quite funny. I mean, all my college kids knew about it at the time. But it was very personal. She told me, it will run you. My mother says those words to me. It's personal. In you. 
let me give you this time of year for us Texans. It's like chiggers. They're personal. <laughs> One set of your friends know your mosquito bites. It is a very personal friend that knows your chiggers. Don't let the devil get personal if you can help it. I thought you'd understand that. Let me put it in other language. The line gets so close you can smell his breath. Those attacks are too close. And this is what I'm leading up to tell you. This is when your prayer life is not enough. I'm afraid that our best Christians, the ones most devoted to God, the one that everybody in the church looks up to as a strong Christian, the most they're doing is praying. This is not a Bible study on praying. And people are going, you've got to be kidding. Praying is conversation with God. It's not enough. One time, Steph and I were into a fight. I went and spent a weekend with Jesus. It sounds good. I could not believe that her opening words to me were, why did you go spend time with Jesus when your problem's with me? I never forgot that. Your problem's not with the Lord. I had a great time with the Lord. Not so great with her. Leave the comparison how you want, but the devil is the same way. It is not time to be having a conversation with God. Your problem is with the devil. I don't know how that applies, but... <laughs> You're enemy. <laughs> you got to hear what to do. Let me tell you, you know why you're thinking those thoughts? Because you are not prepared for battlefield combat. This is not prayer time. I've had people tell me, they gave me a Bible when I got off the ship in Korea, and I fought for a year, and I never had time to open that Bible. But it did protect me because a bullet hit me in the pocket. <laughs> I mean, stuff like that. You're in battlefield combat. Don't have illusions about prayer. Let me put prayer in the right perspective. Am I tell you do no prayer? I'm going to tell you prayer is your homework. Yes, you might be praying under your helmet. Yes. But people are praying when they should be commanding. Look up for yourself in 1 Samuel 17. David did not pray before battlefield combat with Goliath. He just knew. He's an uncircumcised Philistine, and he's defying the armies of the living God. Now, I can make a case for something different for people who have done this and didn't hear God, so I'm hoping you get this right. But he had heard the roar of Goliath for 40 days, and every day Goliath got up and said, Send me a man. And every evening they went to bed with the same roar, Send me a man. And Christians are hiding behind their prayer life. They're monks. They're on their knees, and they never engage in battle. Never. There's never a time for it. This is very important. You're depending on your prayer life to fix the attack of the line. And it scared me, because I'm thinking of my friend, and she has a very strong prayer life. And this is where we're making our mistake. David and Goliath was when it's time to go offensive. 
He was the champion to their army. It's big battles. Where did David get his practice for this? David tells you in his own words. He tells you in 1 Samuel 17, 36, how he prepared to fight Goliath. Now let me tell you how you're not going to win at this. You're not going to be ready. You're not even going to make it through a church split, let alone an all-out attack by infidels that hate you and want to kill you. A terrorist attack. Let me tell you how your mentality is if you're not prepared for a line attack. This is what you're saying to yourself. I'm going to avoid conflict at all costs. If you're going to avoid conflict at all costs, you are not prepared for a line battle. You don't have what it takes. You just enjoy the gear. You decorate for the women's party and you put camouflage out. Ephesians 6. You put the scriptures on your mirrors. But you are not ready for a battle when everything depends on whether you're going to live or die and everyone behind you. This is not for your prayer life. If you're allowing fear to make your decisions, you're not prepared for this battle. If your emotions make your decision, you won't survive and you'll cause other people to get killed. Don't lie to yourself and tell me, oh, that was a great Bible study on a line attack and you hate conflict. You've never sold out to God in that area and you don't plan to. You won't make it. And I wish we could keep the island around our nation and say we're not going to experience this as persecution as Christians or even as Americans with freedom of speech. Let me tell you how a warrior thinks. In 1 Samuel 17, 36, in David's own words, he trained on a line. We are training just to fight a line. <laughs> you get the difference? As a boy, he trained on lines. <laughs> and we're training our whole life to fight one line <laughs> and hopefully not lose three of our four appendages. <laughs> if you're avoiding problems, if you have this mentality that you're going to win over these life blows, you're going to have to head straight into this battle. These are people who know their authority and they have confidence. And they're a veteran. Because let me tell you what David did. He reached for the beard. And when you reach for the beard, guess what the beard is near? the teeth and worse than the teeth are the extension of the paws and the claws you're reaching past paws and claws into teeth to get a hold on your line so you can club him over the head let me tell you right now your mother is not going to bear witness with your training <laughs> no more than Sarah told Abraham that he was hearing God to offer Isaac your mother would not tell little boy David that this was a good idea. But men prepare for battle. This is where you learn. Either you're praying and commanding. This is authority. If you don't know these subjects, get the messages. Praying or commanding. Binding and loosing. I love these words. Forbidding or permitting. Not letting certain things or words stand. Getting rid of the open doors. There's things that make an invitation to the enemy that's an open door. It's a door open invites evil in. A magnet. You need to get delivered of anything that's drawing these types of attacks to it. Let me give you some ideas. Rejection draws this. 
offense. If you're offended, you'll have plenty of reason to be offended. If you're frustrated, it'll give you a lot more to be frustrated about. If you're a victim, my friend has a repetitive pattern going on. There's something drawing it. It has to be taken out. If something is coming after you to give you a life blow three times, you must get it stopped. It's gotten bigger than what it really is. It's called magnification. It happens a lot at night. David screams out, my problems, my fears are all magnified. You've got to get the magnifying glass off your fears and under your feet. It will rise up and get big on you, and it's overwhelming, and you'll get hard hit. But let me tell you what your verse says to do. In Psalm 91, 13, it tells you, you will tread upon the line. Tread. I really thought that through. Are you kidding? When a lion charges me, like if the gate was open at the zoo or if I'm in some place that has wild lions, my thought is not stepping on the lion's head. I, I, I never thought about putting my feet on its head. But that's what the Bible tells you to do. Tread. You're going to have to mentally start thinking about getting the worst, charging, roaring, outrageous problem coming at you under your feet. Tread. Those are those tire prints on the road. Those are treads left on the road. They need to go over the top of the line. You need to have lime juice between your toes. <laughs> you can feel your problems when it goes beneath your feet. That's what I want happening in the morning time. Joy. When you go from fear to joy. When you get something that has bothered you all your life under your feet. Sometimes my prayers ran out about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I have to go out and re-pray. <laughs> this makes you a veteran. Because if you win over vain imaginations, you will win over real reality. If you win over simulations, where if they put those glasses of artificial intelligence <laughs> on you, and again, you watch it over and over, you must win with the Word of God. It is the Word of God sharper and active than any sword. I'm going to say this verse in 1 Peter leaves some room for how to handle it when the lion attacks you. And I like that. I told the Lord, I said, you know what that means? We can have variety and how we fight these problems. Just saying resist does not describe how you decide your plan of resistance. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. I love the fact that He didn't tell us so we can do it with God. Sometimes I tell the Lord, I have no idea what to do. Will you just walk into this battle with me? I like to bring calm out of chaos. Maybe the Lord will speak to you and tell you exactly where that person that's missing is. And you take chaos and get it under your feet. That's what you have to do. Most people don't know what they would do if they had an actual attack. But I had a chance working with one of these big cats extended period of time. Most people have never thought if they had a real lion attacking them, what they would do about it. I was thinking about when my brother purchased that cute little tiger on the back of the trust book. He bought a little bitty cub a little male tiger cub. The next day, they delivered a female lioness because the male little cubs were worth a lot more than the females that were full grown. 
But alas, my brother was not there. He had one fear of when they delivered it. He had not told my parents. He left me with the one he feared the most, my mother. He comes and whispers to me, I've got to leave. I've got to go out of town. I said, why, Bill? He goes, the tiger's being delivered. I bought it at the exotic fair. You'll never believe the good price I got. As it's delivered, they've switched. I said, this is no cub. The tiger jumps up on my shoulders and puts a paw on each side. You know, with the Lord, there's so many adventures. Right from the start to the end, the tiger and I always had the same posture. It slinked all around, came right up to me, jumped up, put its paws on both of my shoulders, and looked me in the eye. I don't know if you've ever been looked in the eye with a big cat, the guy screaming that delivered it. You know why he's screaming? He's afraid that we're going to reject the cell because it's the wrong sex, the wrong size, and it's looking me in the eye. I just stand there looking at the tiger. He goes, don't make any quick moves. I was thinking, you know, I've always liked my nose where it is, my ears. I was thinking about, what does he mean make no quick moves? How do we get out of this? I was expecting the guy to come over and deliver me from the paw of the tiger. He tells me, take your fist and hit him as hard as you can on the head. That sounds like the dumbest idea. When you've got one looking you in the face and you take your fist and you hit the tiger in the face, then whatever he's not mad at you for, he finds a reason and he takes something off. (laughs) The guy didn't have as much to lose as me. He told me, hit him in the head. That's what I do. I'm like, why don't you show me first? He doesn't. He doesn't want to get tangled up in our dispute. So then he tells me something that appeals to my analytical. He tells me, look, the mother tiger does this to him all the time. It thinks it's a cub. Take your fist, like she would her paw, take your fist and hit it in the head hard. Don't move, though. Just hit it fast. For some reason, that made sense to me. They said, he'll do it all the time. I took my fist, and as hard as I could, I popped that tiger in the head. Just like he said, it dropped down. Just as cute as could be. Did this little slinky number and jumped right back up. That was our game we played for the rest of our time together. During the time I had it, it bit me in the behind. It bit me in the back. It was always when I was showing the tiger off that it would bite me. And I'm not talking a little. I'm talking about enough that if you want to look, I have a tiger scar. I know no one would believe it, but I was bit by a tiger. The tiger taught me eye-to-eye contact. And then it got to the point, after a year and a half, it got too hard to handle. And they said, don't walk the tiger anymore. It's attacking now. I was like, it was attacking in the beginning. (laughs) So I told my dad, in Genesis 1, it says we have dominion over animals. If I don't have dominion over this tiger, then that verse is not true. I said, I have to have dominion over this tiger. My dad wanted to be rationed with. He said, you might have a point there. And he said, okay, you can take the tiger for a walk. And it was out of control. And you have to get the leash on it. Dad said, I'll watch through the sliding glass windows. (laughs) 
<laughs> I wonder which part of me he thought he could save. I got the tiger, and guess what? I didn't take the tiger for a walk and say, sweet kitty. I was using my authority and commanded it by the power of the name of Jesus to do what I told it to. It was fun. <laughs> Until we got to a certain point right in front of my dad, the devil came after me and the tiger. And we went under that winding staircase, and I'm using my authority, commanding that thing, because I don't have a choice. This walk has got to work because the tiger was taking me where he wanted to go. And we had like a 50-foot red rope. And about that time, bam, we hit the hornet's nest, literally, a nest of hornets. And they went, and they went after both of us. And Dad said he's never seen anything like it. And he said he's never laughed this hard in his entire life. He said we both started running, and we ran in opposite directions. <laughs> but he said you never let go of the rope. You were using your authority, the name of Jesus, as I ran. He said you got to the end of the rope. The, the tiger ran this way, you ran that way, and all of a sudden it went boing! And we both fell down. And those hornets were coming after us, and I commanded it. He said you and the tiger looked at each other. He said, I don't know what you communicated, but you went running in the same direction. <laughs> Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> there was something that was connected between me and that tiger. I used my authority all over it to prove that tiger would not have the best of us or take a bite out of me. I'm not advising this. I'm telling you, you've got to know your authority. The mistake I made was when I was taking him off his hook, I went into the cage with him. And I shut the door with me in there. And we're talking very small night cage, like a little kennel. And my brother said, oh my gosh, that's where he... He said, I could barely handle it. I used my authority. I unsnapped it. He went to lunge and I commanded him, no, in the name of Jesus. Never lost my composure turned my back, and stepped out of the cage. My dad goes, it worked. Genesis 1 worked. It worked. Genesis 3. My mother didn't watch. My dad did. And I'm going to tell you, I had to know if my authority worked because I was going to use it in other places in my life. So what does resist look like on you? I know the story sounds fun because it turned out okay. I don't recommend it, but you've got to find something to resist on. You've got to see if your authority works. The law of these big cats, start out strong with them. Don't fail your initial attack. Earn the respect. I didn't have a cruel heart, but I stood up. If I'd had cruelty in me, I would have antagonized him or provoked him. You may get a few nips when you turn your back especially when you show it off. Make eye contact. You don't think I meant it, but when I told you making eye contact, it helped me in China when that guy slapped that thing down for me to sign. Making eye contact and not breaking eye contact is what worked with the witch. And she said, there's something about you that you don't break eye contact with me. And it's because she slinked just like the tiger. I told Steph, she moves and thinks and can't speak English 
just like the tiger, for two and a half hours in my living room. I knew what to do because I'd face the tiger. You must find something to use your authority on. It helped me. And what really counts is when you use your authority when things are out of control. Nobody is using their authority now. They're praying at best. They don't even know what this word means. They're asking God to do it for them. It's all of Christianity, and that's the best they do, is ask God, kill Goliath with a lightning bolt. Help me when I put a bowl of food out for the tiger. You must decide in life to resist. Amen.